Amen. Well, welcome, and so very glad to see you this morning. Um, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 14. We're going to begin with verse 22 and read through verse 33. I invite you to stand as you turn there and as we prepare to receive this word together. Let me just uh, uh, say uh, that the uh, that Ohio State looked pretty good yesterday. Uh, I must tell you, I don't think I remember a time when they scored 42 points in a quarter, and I almost, I almost took a nap during the uh, second uh, half. But uh, uh, how did Michigan do? Did anyone? Oh, didn't do so well, huh? <laughs> Were yeah, they sure did? They looked awful. Well. So we've got a lot to, to celebrate. We've got a lot to be thankful for today. Let's prepare to receive this word together. Would you pray this prayer to, with me? Lord, this is your word to me today. May it be a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Help me to hide this word in my heart that I might not sin against you. May I pray it in read it through, live it out, and pass it on. Amen. Amen. Beginning here with verse 22, Matthew 14. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. May God add his blessing to his word. Please be seated. For many of you, you begin your work week on Mondays. But for me in ministry, I tend to take Monday off and head into the church on Tuesday. So Tuesday happens to be my Monday. And so this past Tuesday, I leaped out of bed early as always, excited for a new week. Tuesday is staff meeting day for us. We meet with the entire church staff for several hours, and then I meet with the uh, entire ministry staff. And it's just wonderful. Several hours of planning and discussion and problem solving. We just laugh and eat, and I think to myself every Tuesday, thank God it's Tuesday. When I first turned on my computer uh, this past week, I had several emails. One after another, there is just encouraging emails and great information one even turned out to be promisingly lucrative. It turns out a Nigerian prince has reached out to me for some help. He needed 
some funds to be released from prison and will then be able to retrieve his family fortune. It turns out he's offered me a very generous portion of that fortune, of which I'm going to be sure to tithe the church. Well, then I had some counseling appointments, and wow, everyone who came in, their lives are great. Marriage is great, children are great, work is great. There are no health problems. It was just wonderful. And then it came time to, to sit down and think about a message, a sermon. So I opened up a file, put my hands on the keyboard, and my fingers began to dance effortlessly, producing the most biblical, informative, inspirational sermon, eloquent even, that I've ever written. It's not this sermon, but it was a good one, okay? <laughs> Has anybody ever had a day like that? Nobody ever has a day like that. Nobody. More like today when I woke up with a cold and I'm congested and my throat is sore and I'm not sure my voice is going to hold out. The truth is work is good, but it's been invaded by sin. It, is, it has been damaged by the fall. We have to deal with problems and alienation and thorns and thistles and the sweat of our brow. Work can be hard. And because it can be hard, we need to think about ways to stay sharp. Stephen Covey, of course, years ago made an illustration of the woodcutter in his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And he tells it like this. He says, suppose you were to come upon someone in the woods working feverishly to saw down a tree. What are you doing, you ask? Well, can't you see, comes the impatient reply, I'm sawing down this tree. You look exhausted, you exclaim. How long have you been at it? Over five hours, he returns, and I'm beat. This is hard work. Well, why don't you take a break for a few minutes and sharpen that saw, you inquire. I'm sure it would go a lot faster. I don't have time to sharpen the saw, the man says emphatically. I'm too busy sawing. You know, the, the point, of course, is that the woodcutter would work so much more efficiently with so much less effort if he would just take the time to sharpen his saw. Now, the point is easily processed, but the reality is when you are busy out there hacking away at the massive forest of pop that's popping up around you, you can lose sight of the fact that maybe it's time to sharpen your saw. Do you ever feel like you're, you're spinning your wheels, a lot of activity, but not much productivity? That frustration can turn into irritation, anxiety, and exhaustion. And of course, those feelings don't stay there. They move into other areas of our life. They move into our family, our marriages, and even in our church. Now, there may be a whole host of reasons that we struggle at work, surely, but one of them may be because we've never really thought about taking the time to sharpen the saw. Over the last few weeks, we've been studying Matthew 14 and looking at it from this angle because we've discovered as we've looked at Matthew 14 that this, as many commentators suggest, may have been Jesus' hardest day at work, his longest day of ministry. You'll remember that he had been teaching for hours, healing people, teaching them, when he suddenly hears the news that John the Baptist, his dear friend, has been killed by King Herod. He needs to grieve. But we saw last week, he, he goes the extra mile for the crowds. He 
feeds 5,000 men and who knows how many other women and children in a terrific display of miraculous power. But now we see at this moment, Jesus has never been as popular as he is right then. And of course, it's not hard to figure out why. Jesus has just given them free food and Everybody's in on this. Everybody wants to keep it just like it is. And so John, in fact, in the gospel, tells us that the people were ready to make him king. It's interesting to me. It's at that moment that Jesus does something that would have uh, sent his, his publicist and his booking agent into a state of shock. It's then that he sends the crowds away. The Bible says he dismisses them. He says, okay, guys, the show is over you need to leave. You know, if you study the Gospels and the ministry of Jesus, you cannot escape the fact that even as the Son of God, he still needed time to, to recalibrate, to rest, to recollect, to reflect. Yet why would he walk away at that moment? Why wouldn't he ride the wave as far as it could take him? Why would he walk away from an adoring public? And if you think about it, the answer is simple. And yet for many of us, we need to understand. Jesus had one goal in his ministry, and that was to do the will of the one who sent him. And Jesus knew that the best way to determine that will was to spend quiet time alone with the Father. You realize he couldn't do that with the crowds. Much more, he couldn't do that even with the 12. No, he wanted to give his father his complete attention. He desired that spiritual recharging. Jesus knew that after a long day at work, what he needed most of all wasn't, telling him, wasn't someone telling him how great he was. No, he needed to hear the still small voice of God. Can I ask you this morning, when was the last time you took some time to spiritually recharge? I read a fascinating article some months ago in Fortune magazine entitled, Humans Are Underrated by Jeff Colvin. The premise of his article was that technology, as technology increases, many tasks we used to do as humans are now done by machines. He quoted Henry Ford, who introduced the assembly line, of course, to the production of autos, who said, why is it every time I ask for a pair of hands, they come with a brain attached? In other words, Henry Ford was saying, for much of uh, the work that was required, a brain isn't really necessary. It's just that machines weren't good enough yet to do the job. But he says, that's changing today. And Jeff was arguing, that's not a bad thing. Colvin wrote, as economies have evolved over the centuries, we've always looked outward to get the new skills we require. To elders, to schools, trainers, and employers they knew and could teach us what we needed to know. But now for the first time, we almost must look inward. That's where we find the elements of skills we need next. He quotes Meg Baer, who was the vice president of Oracle at the time, and she said, empathy is the critical 21st century skill. So what we've discovered is, is that more than IQ today, companies, when they're searching for employees, are more and more impressed by one's EQ, 
emotional quotient. The ability to, to relate and empathize and demonstrate compassion and work with other people on a team. Now, if you think about it, what's exciting to me is that, that is exactly where Christians should have an advantage because we've been talking about this for years. Listen to what Colvin writes. He says, just think of what we're being asked to do to become essentially more human, to be the creatures we once were and were always meant to be. Now, you talk about a creature, you talk about a creator. And he's coming at this from a completely secular viewpoint, but his words are intensely spiritual. What he's saying is this. Listen, as Christians, if we look inward, we have a terrific advantage. As Christians, we have something that non-Christians don't have. Or should I say someone? We have the gift of the Holy Spirit. My friends, there is a power available to you and I that we don't always tap into. So there are many Christians who go off to work each day and they try to be an example in the workplace, but they try to do it on their own. They don't enlist the help of the Lord. The Holy Spirit is never consulted when it comes to sharpening their saw, and so they, they are about as successful as using a chainsaw on a cedar tree with the power switch in the off position. Sharpening our saw means relying on the Holy Spirit rather than working in the flesh. Jesus knew what it was to sharpen his saw. I want to suggest to you, if Jesus needed to sharpen his saw, we need to do the same. So what does that mean? Sharpening the saw means we need to practice time alone with God. I'm amazed how often I will talk to well-meaning Christians. They'll come to me and they'll want to talk about a situation, a problem they're facing. And yet very often I will ask them, well, what do you sense God is tell telling you? What is God saying to you? And they'll look at me quizzically. They'll wonder. And I discovered that they've never listened. They've never practiced listening to God's voice. My friends, I think it is so important that we understand as Christians that we need to get alone with God and listen to him. Now, we're here this morning, and worship is certainly one way to do that, of course. Just being here where we sing and celebrate and we hear the God's word, that reminds us of God's power and it does give us perspective that he is in control. But we need regular time alone with God. My friend, if you don't have a regular quiet time with God, listen, you are missing out on the best that God has for you. If you don't have a prayer time, if you don't have a quiet time, if you don't have a time when you can open up God's word and open up a devotional, you know, we have the, the daily bread that we offer absolutely free. You can pick those up. We'd love for you to, to make that a practice. But you are trying to live the Christian life in the flesh. Living in the flesh is like rowing. It's hard against the stream. But when we learn to live life in the spirit, it becomes more like sailing and allowing the Holy Spirit to guide us wherever he will. So listen, when the Bible says, do not lean unto your own understanding, 
Take that seriously. Because, friend, your heart is deceitful. Your emotions fluctuate. Your understanding does not see the overall big picture. But if you listen to God, he'll never lie. God never changes. God knows all. You can trust him. Now, sharpening the saw means something else. I think sharpening the saw means that you take the time to to stay current in what's going on in your field, too, even though you may have had years of experience there. A few months ago, as some of you know, I decided to take our staff to a uh, a conference by Dr. Preston Sprinkle. He was doing a one-day seminar on ministry regarding LGBTQ issues. When we, took the con- when we went to the conference, our whole staff came back and said, our church needs to discuss this. This is where the culture is. We need to understand this. We need to equip our people in this area. And I am so proud to say that over 120 of you are joining us to sharpen our understanding of a Christ-like response to our culture and these issues that are happening so that we can, can, can deal with this in a way that is honoring to Christ and loving to God's people. So, so, so when, when you've done something for years, it, it's easy to kind of assume that you've got it all together, that you're going to lean on your reputation, that it's going to be the same. But the culture is changing. And I've got to tell you, the same things, that, the, the stuff that we studied in seminary 25 years ago isn't the same things that we need to work on and think about and consider in the seminaries today. And boy, if you're a manager of people, and some of you are, One of the best things that you can give to the people that you lead is give them the opportunity to sharpen their skills because it's only going to help you. They'll be more productive. Very often, they'll be happier at the same time. Sometimes we neglect the power and knowledge of of those who really serve in the trenches. Maybe you heard about the large company who, in an effort to be more inclusive, decided to hire several cannibals. The HR rep said, you guys are a part of our team right now. We want to welcome you to this uh, company. You get all the benefits and you can go to the cafeteria for something to eat. But please, please, whatever you do, don't eat any of the other employees. Well, of course, the, the cannibals promised they would not eat anyone else. But five weeks later, the boss came in to the cannibals and said, listen, guys, you're all working very hard. I'm actually very pleased with your efforts. However, one of our secretaries has disappeared. Do any of you know what's happened to her? Of course, the cannibals all shook their heads. No, no. Well, as soon as the boss left, the leader of the cannibals whispered to the others, all right, which one of you guys ate the secretary? Slowly, a hand went up, to which one of the leaders of the cannibals continued, what were you thinking? For five weeks, we've been eating managers, and no one noticed a thing. But no, you had to go and eat a secretary. (laughs) In this passage, we see Jesus. Things are going well. But he has to get alone. 
He goes to the mountain to pray. Now, we notice, of course, that he sends the disciples along ahead on the Sea of Galilee. And, of course, a storm comes along. We see Jesus walks out onto the lake, and the disciples are now more afraid because they think that they're seeing a ghost. And the truth is, you would be afraid too. Verse 27 says, But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. You know, this is one of the few times when we lose something, I think, in the translation from Greek to English. When it translates Jesus saying, It is I, what he is literally saying as he is walking on the water is, I am. Take courage. I am. Don't be afraid. Now, maybe that sounds like bad grammar, but it's great theology. Because it seems to me in the midst of this miraculous moment where the master is defying gravity, his choice of words may have been his biggest source of encouragement. Because Jesus was saying to them something about himself. You remember, I am is the name that God gave to Moses, referring to God. The people of Israel would become the people of the name. And because they were given the very personal name of God, I am. They, they had faith in that one. So for the disciples, their minds would have drifted back to when they were just little boys, when they would have learned and understood the reference, and they began to understand what Jesus was saying. Jesus is claiming to be the God of the Old Testament. I am. The one who is walking on the water is the same God who created the seas. Do not be afraid. I am with you. Listen, my friends, the next time that you are at work and you're confused in your cubicle or you're distraught at your desk or you're exhausted at the work site, remember that I am is there for you. You, you may not understand exactly what is going on. It may seem like a storm. It may look dark. It may feel like you're drowning. But take courage. I am. Don't be afraid. I hear echoes of Isaiah 43. Verse 13 says, For I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, Do not fear, I will help you. And my friends, this is what excites me. The next time you go to work and you're frustrated and you're overwhelmed, remember this. In the Old Testament, we hear the phrase, God is with you. And that is demonstrated powerfully when Jesus comes because he becomes God with us. But in the New Testament, after the church begins and the Holy Spirit falls, that phrase changes to something different. It becomes Christ is in you. From God with us to Christ in you. And what a difference that preposition makes. Before Jesus went to the cross, you remember, he went to Gethsemane. And, and, and what did he do in Gethsemane? He prayed. He spent time with the Father. 
And from his time with the Father in the garden, he gains the confidence to do God's perfect will for him, to surrender his life on Calvary. You see, Jesus wasn't called to be the kind of king that people wanted. Instead, he was called to die on a cross as a criminal that people despised. And Paul reports, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. How did that happen? He knew the Father's will because he spent time with the Father. He died on the cross because that was the Father's perfect will. Now, that changes my perspective about my work. That changes my perspective about each and every day. And when I ask myself, how is my work going? I ask myself, how have I sharpened my saw lately? Has God called you to bear a cross where you are? I wouldn't be surprised he does call you to, to difficulty and pain and frustration. But Colossians 3 says, whatever you do, Work at it with all your heart is working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you serve. My friends, I wonder what would happen this morning if we would begin to see our work environment in a way where, where we see it as a, as a mission field. When we pull into the parking lot, we pause to pray and sharpen the saw. What, what would happen if you were to approach those eight plus hours like a, a daily mission trip? What if you saw every conversation, every problem as an opportunity to demonstrate the person of Jesus? I told you last week our assignment is not to convince others how good we are, but to convince others how good God is. And when we see ourselves in that light where God begins to use us as his testimony, as his light, how that can change. Oh, Father, use me to be a light in the darkness, to be Jesus to those who don't know you, to serve you without expecting anything in return. Lord, if I'm called to bear a cross today, may I bear it with joy. And Lord, as a Christian, I know I'm going to be different from others in this place, but remind me that I am ultimately here to represent you and assure me that you, the I am, is right here in me and working through me. I wonder what difference that would make. I think there is no greater calling than to make your workplace your mission field. And there's no greater decision than to decide to accept Jesus as your master and to work and to live for him. Listen, I know that some of you right now in your workplaces, you feel like you're drowning. You feel like it's hard. You feel overwhelmed. You feel like Peter sinking. Do you know the power that's there? You've been trying to do this in the flesh. But God has strategically put you there for a reason. And he wants to use you. Will you surrender to him? Will you bear that cross with joy? And whatever you do, remember it is the Lord Christ you're serving. Let's pray.
Father, I thank you that you remind us to get away with you. Lord, I suspect that maybe we look at work a little differently when we see it through your eyes. I thank you, Lord, for so many individuals who are on the front lines. And Lord, it's hard. And sometimes they're tired. Sometimes it seems like the storm is all around them. It seems like they're sinking. But Lord, there you are. And I pray that, Lord, we would right now reach out to you and hear your voice and hear you say, I am. Do not be afraid. I will hold you. I will help you. Lord, I pray for that person right now who is struggling. Lord, may you just fill them up with the refreshment and encouragement of your spirit. May they know that, Lord, you have commissioned them for this task. Some are teachers dealing with extraordinary difficulty with children who come out of such dysfunction and, Lord, whose, whose issues seem overwhelming, and yet, Lord, you have positioned them there to be a light of grace and compassion and hope. Lord, for others, they are called to, to be nurses and they are... They're bringing compassion and light into difficult and desperate situations. Some are, Lord, working on an assembly line, maybe in an office, and they see it as a mundane, routine thing and wondering, how does this impact the kingdom at all? And yet, Lord, every day you put them in reach of someone who doesn't know you. Lord, I pray that you would allow for them to have conversations that you would sharpen their willingness and openness to be a witness for you. And sometimes, Lord, they would speak, and sometimes they would be quiet, but at all times they would just reflect your glory and the image of Christ. I pray, Lord, in our workplaces, you would use us up, that we would be willing to bear our cross, because when we bear our crosses, Lord, redemption happens. You accomplished it all on the cross. I thank you, Lord, that Christ in us is the hope of glory. Lord, may it become the hope for all people. Use this in our workplaces, I pray, through Jesus Christ our Lord.